Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Kirk Herb Street is on the phone. Here. 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 I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great Monday. A little bit of a later Aaron Torres pod, but we got a lot to discuss. We're going to open. Listen, we'll, we'll do what we kind of did last Monday. Some reaction to the NFL games. 40, I guarantee 40 to 50, if not more million people watch these games. It's what everybody's talking about in sports right now. So we'll just share a couple thoughts on both these games. Obviously, the iconic late game, Bengals Chiefs. The not-so-iconic early game, 49ers-Eagles. Then from there, we'll take a quick break, and we will talk a little bit of the college hoops weekend that was. actually thought there were two major takeaways. I'm not going to tell you what they are right now. you got to stay tuned. That's what we call a tease in this business. Uh, but we'll obviously react to the Big 12 SEC Challenge, Tennessee-Texas, Kentucky-Kansas. Thought there was something interesting out of the Big 10. Uh, my boy Mike F. And Woodson, maybe? Stay tuned. Uh, Alabama loses. We'll discuss all that. So quick show, fun show, little NFL, little college hoops. It's starting to be that time. Feels like a little bit less every week. There's less football to discuss, more basketball. It is a fantastic time of year, and I can't wait to keep this party rolling. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, as I as I just said, listen, we don't do a ton of NFL like breakdown on this show, but I, like everybody else, on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Sunday night, I watched the two championship games, AFC, NFC. And so I just want to share kind of a couple thoughts, just like I did last Sunday on this show, last Monday on this show. Just kind of some quick reaction, just spitballing some ideas um, before we get to the college fo- college hoops, excuse me. And so where I want to start, not surprisingly, I'm not starting with the early game, but let's start with the late game, Kansas City against Cincinnati. Cincinnati comes in as a slight favorite of the Betfred Sportsbook. Then by the kickoff, KC was a slight favorite. And I'll just say, like, all-time classic, what I don't want to do on this show, what I'm not going to do as we start to break down this game, I'm not going to sit here and blame the refs. I understand there was a lot of questionable calls late. Yes, the Joseph Asai call was a brutal call. You feel terrible for the kid, but it was the right call. 
Yes, there was probably a hold on that play, but guess what? There's holding on every play in the NFL. Bengals fans, and I know we have a lot that listen to this show. I'm not sitting here saying that you don't have a right to be upset. I'm not saying that people couldn't wish for a better refereed game. But at the end of the day, it was an all-time classic. One team was going to win. One team was going to lose. And unfortunately, it did come down to that final play. But I don't think it should take away from what was just, again, just a classic all-time game. I think it's like the third one we've had in KC over the last couple of years. I remember the Tom Brady-Patrick Mahomes game, year one for Mahomes as a starter when he won the MVP. Last year, we have Josh Allen versus Mahomes in that iconic game that went to overtime. This time, we have KC winning by a field goal at the end of regulation. And with that, let's get to it a lot. Let's get to it a lot. What does that even mean? Let's get to the game itself. And what I would say about the game itself, if I have one, 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 if I had one takeaway from this game, it was actually something that didn't actually happen during the 60 minutes that the game was played. Instead, to me, what I thought the most interesting part of everything that happened on Sunday between Chiefs and Bengals, and certainly between Eagles and 49ers, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I thought the most interesting thing from that Chiefs-Bengals game was not what happened on the field, but what happened in the seconds that followed the game. You guys and girls were probably watching with family and friends like I was. Uh, the game goes final. KC wins. And Tracy Wolfson, an incredible sideline reporter, great at what she does, grabs Patrick Mahomes for a postgame interview like everybody else does in a situation like that. And so Tracy grabs Patrick Mahomes, starts talking, and then what happens? Orlando Brown comes over and says, put some respect on this guy's name. And then Travis Kelsey came over and said, Burrowhead, my behind. That was a reference to multiple people throughout the week calling Arrowhead, Burrowhead, obviously in honor of Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback that was 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes coming into this game. Uh, the Cincinnati mayor said something. A couple Bengals players said something. So Travis Kelsey coming over and saying, Burrowhead, my behind, then calling out the mayor of Cincinnati, know your role and shut your whole jabroni or something of, to that effect. I apologize, wrestling fans, if I didn't nail the rocks line exactly. But why I bring it up is because to me, that said more than anything that happened on the field. And what that said to me was that the Chiefs legitimately feel threatened by the Bengals and we have legitimately sports next great rivalry. Because here's the thing, it's, it's kind of funny, right? I, I was thinking about this kind of following the game and even in the lead up to the game. Since Patrick Mahomes kind of became Patrick Mahomes, we have tried so hard to find a rival for him, to find a contemporary, to find the magic to his bird, bird to his magic, whatever. His his Brady to his Manning, Peyton Manning. And it hasn't happened, right? We, we tried, I think for a half a second, like Jared Goff had a great game against him with the Rams. And it's like, Rams Chiefs, this is the future of football. Nah, no, it wasn't. Then it was Lamar Jackson. Well, now we don't even know if Lamar Jackson is going to be a Raven anymore. Then it was Deshaun Watson with the Texans for half a second. Then it was Brady, but Brady was too old and went to the NFC. Then it was Josh Allen, and we realized, hey, the Bills got to win a game that matters, especially against the Chiefs before they become a rival. But to me, when Travis Kelsey said, Burrowhead, my behind, that reminded me of one of the oldest sayings in sports. I Googled it Monday morning to see who started it. And it appears as though Reggie Jackson, the iconic baseball player, was the first person to say this. Reggie Jackson, when asked about being booed 
by opposing fans. He said they don't boo nobodies. And if you're Travis Kelsey, if you're Patrick Mahomes, now a three-time AFC champion in the last five years, a Super Bowl-winning team and a Super Bowl-winning core of Kelsey and Mahomes, they don't boo nobodies. You don't acknowledge somebody that you're not threatened by. And that's not an insult to KC. It's actually a great compliment to KC, but it's also a great compliment to Cincinnati as well. Because to me, what that said, know your role and shut your hole, jabroni, and this ain't Burrowhead, Burrowhead my behind. What that says is if Cincinnati hasn't officially caught up with KC, KC sees them right in that rearview mirror. And I will say, I think that is great for sports, and I think it is great for the sport of the NFL. Because my biggest takeaway wasn't that this team got robbed or that team's this or that team's that. It's that the Bengals, as long as they have Joe Burrow, oh, the Bengals are a threat for anything, right? And so let's get into kind of the next tier of thoughts in this game. And that was my first takeaway. I say often the more interesting the more interesting story is often in the losing locker room. Today it is, but it's not what you think. It's not for a negative reason. Usually when we talk about a team losing, it becomes, what do you have to fix? How does it get solved? You know, Ohio State loses to Michigan for a second straight year. You start having tough questions. Um, You know, Kentucky loses to Kansas in basketball. We start having tough questions. This ain't one of those times. Yes, to me, the more interesting story is in the losing locker room. But the, the story to me is that Joe Burrow proved something to me over these last three weeks, the last two weeks specifically. It's if you're a Bengals fan, we have learned beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you have Joe Burrow, you're a contender like that. That's all that matters, right? The same way that Casey, as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you're a contender. The same way the Patriots, when they had Tom Brady, you're a contender. The Colts with Peyton Manning, you're a contender. The Packers up until this year with Aaron Rodgers, you're a contender. That is who the Bengals are going to be for the next 10 to 15 years with Joe Burrow. Because listen. I will readily admit, one thing I do on this show, I think that I do well, I acknowledge when I get stuff wrong. And I have been so wrong on Joe Burrow. And and I talked about it on Friday's show. I said, look, coming out of LSU, I had questions about this guy. Coming out of, uh, I just had questions about could he maintain it? Was it lightning? You know, did he strike lightning in a bottle with that LSU team and coaching staff and whatever? Then he gets to a Super Bowl last year. And even last year, I said, well, crap. The defense played really well. Jamar Chase is amazing. Let's credit Joe Burrow, but is he really that dude? Well, you go in to Buffalo last week, get the win in convincing fashion, and then you go to KC, and it comes down to the wire, and you can easily have won that game. Joe Burrow is that dude, okay? Joe Burrow is that dude, and you think about what he did on Sunday, and I know it's something that everybody else is talking about, so I'm not claiming this as an original thought of my own, but Joe Burrow goes into Arrowhead, maybe the loudest stadium in the NFL, down three offensive linemen. He is getting killed in the first half, and yet the second half comes, credit to the Bengals' defense, by the way, and he keeps making play after play after play. And all of a sudden, you look up, you're like, the Bengals could win this thing. You know, the big fourth down throw that sets up the, the game-tying field goal. Like, they they might win this thing in Arrowhead. And so if you're a Bengals fan, I know today hurts, and I know you're probably mad. Torres, talk more about the refs. They ruined everything. I don't think the refs are to blame for your loss because ultimately, even in the greatest games that have ever been played, somebody's got to lose them. 
You know, Gonzaga and UCLA played an all-timer in the Final Four last year. Somebody's got to lose it. You know, I think back to some of those that Georgia-Alabama SEC title game a few years ago. Somebody had to lose it. So, you uh, you know, Georgia-Ohio State in this year's college football playoffs, somebody had to lose it. It's not always the ref's fault. It's not always to blame. And if I am a Bengals fan, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be upset that your team's not going to a second straight Super Bowl, you got to wake up feeling good saying, Joe Burrow is our quarterback for the after everything that we've been through. We get Joe Burrow for the next 10, 12, 15 years. I know he's 25, 26, whatever, but we get him till his mid to late 30s. We're golden. And he's another guy. He's like Mahomes. He's like some of these other guys. You can pay him. And I think your team can still have success, right? Because I think that that's a, an interesting dynamic in this new world of the NFL where these quarterbacks make so much money. We talked about it last week with the, the Cowboys. The Cowboys are screwed because they're paying Dak Prescott way too much money and he needs the weapons around him to have success. That ain't the situation with Cincinnati. As long as they got Burrow, as long as they got Jamar Chase, they're going to be fine. They're going to figure it out because if Joe Burrow could do this behind that offensive line, they're going to be able to piece together a roster that's good enough to win every single year as long as Joe Burrow is the quarterback. Beyond that, let me just say it real quick. You talk about L's that I got to take. How about that L on Patrick Mahomes, okay? And so it was funny because I think about this game. Mahomes was another guy. Let me even backtrack. I think about this game, and I think about a conversation I had on last Monday's show after the divisional round. I think about the, the show that we did on Friday. And I remember my big, like, my big talking point. This was my big one that I was like, I'm going to be the first on this one, whatever. I said, Joe Burrow going into this game was 4-0 against Patrick Mahomes or 3-0, whatever it was. Joe Burrow was 3-0 against Patrick Holmes, excuse me. He won the AFC title game last year in Arrowhead. If he wins the AFC title game again in Arrowhead this year, well, he's got to be considered the best. That was Torres' big stance. Oh, I'm so much smarter than everybody else. And it was late in the third quarter on Sunday in that game when I realized Dude, like, like, what are you doing? Like, like, Mahomes makes that touchdown pass uh, to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That's like, you know, for people watching on YouTube, like, it, it this close to being either intercepted or at least tipped away. And he's rolling to the side, and he's throwing across his body, and he's doing it on a bum ankle. And I'm like, why am I trying to decide which one of these guys is better? Why can't they just both be awesome? Forget the fact that it's a... A, a team sport, offense versus defense, blah, 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 blah. You can't really compare. Like, why am I doing it? Why can't Kobe and MJ just, or Kobe and LeBron just be great, or LeBron and MJ? Like, and I know, right, I'm not comparing Burrow and Mahomes to the two greatest basketball players of all time, but you get the point. Like, why does one have to be better than the other? And that's what I realized. Like, dude, Torres, just stop trying to make the argument against Patrick Mahomes. And that's officially what I'm doing because the thing about Mahomes, and again, I go back to my preseason predictions. And I said, I don't buy that the Kansas City Chiefs, I, I, like my preseason prediction, if you remember, I said, I think the Chiefs are going to miss the playoffs. Now, part of it was, I thought the division was going to be much better. I thought Denver was going to be really good with Russell Wilson. I thought the, the Raiders were going to be really good with Derek Carr now throwing to Devontae Adams. But I said, I don't know. Mahomes struggled there a little bit in the middle of the year last year. Now he doesn't have Tyreek Hill, his big deep threat. I'm a little bit worried about him. Well, again, I'm wrong. And so to me, those are my three big takeaways. One, we got ourselves the NFL's next great rivalry for the foreseeable future. Travis Kelsey doesn't go to the podium 
and say, Burrowhead, my behind. If if the KC Chiefs, if the Kansas City Chiefs don't know that Cincinnati is a legitimate threat, if they don't know that they were on the ropes and easily could have lost a second straight AFC championship game at home. My second takeaway, Joe Burrow, Bengals fans, don't be sad today. Be happy. I know that's hard to say. And I know we got a lot of Bengals fans who are like, dude, Tor, shut up. Just shut up. You're never happy when your team loses in a game like that. But you got Joe freaking Burrow for the next 10 years. You're going to be good. And then finally, what I would say is I am done. I'm done. I'm done arguing against Patrick Mahomes. Steps up in big moments, big plays, big games, this, that, the other thing. He's incredible. I'm done trying to either tear him down or make the argument for somebody else. There might be somebody else on his level, and I think Joe Burrow is right there. But uh, so, so you don't have, I don't have to do the whole who's better, who's this, who's that. Those are my big takeaways from the AFC Championship game. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No really quickly, not nearly as many takeaways in the NFC Championship game as Philly dominates San Francisco. I think it was 38 to 7 was the final score. Um, and, you know, it's funny. 31 to 7, it looks like it was. Um, you know, listen, I picked Philly to win. I picked Philly to cover. That was my bet. Fred best bet. I can't take credit for anything. I mean, obviously, look, we all know the deal. The game turned on the Brock Purdy injury, which was a fumble. His arm gets hit. Um, and so when I think about this game, first of all, I feel bad for Philly because nobody's acknowledging Philly being awesome and dominant and that D line being great. And that front seven being great. Everybody's just like, yeah, but Brock Purdy got hurt. And so that's my first takeaway is, is feel bad for Philly. I do feel bad for Kyle Shanahan though, right? Because there are some times in life where you can do everything right, where you can prepare right. You can, you know, uh, get the right amount of, you know, imagine just, you know, having the biggest job interview of your life. And I know it's not a perfect apples to apples comparison because Kyle Shanahan has the job. He's doing a great job, but you, um, you prepare right. You have the right references. You get a good sleep. You get a good uh, a good night's sleep. You get a good breakfast in the morning. You show up to the office early. You got your shoes polished. You're wearing your best tie. And the person that's making the hire has already decided, you know what? I'm hiring this guy or girl. This guy is a formal interview, but he has no chance. Like, like We've all had moments in our lives where we do everything right, and it just doesn't matter. And that was what happened to Kyle Shanahan on Saturday, okay, on Sunday. He's already down to, keep this in mind, people don't realize this, Brock Purdy wasn't his third-string quarterback. Brock Purdy was his fourth-string quarterback going into the season. It was Trey Lance, and then it was Jimmy G, and they actually had a guy named Nate Sudfeld on the roster that was ahead of Brock Purdy, 
and you lose Trey Lance in week one. Then you lose Jimmy G a few weeks later. Then you put in Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the, the, the entire NFL draft. And you're in position to go to the Super Bowl. And then you get to the NFC Championship game. And you lose the guy that's been preparing for this game the entire time. And so I'm not a big body language means this guy. But you could just see the wind come out of Kyle Shanahan's sails when Brock Purdy said, he went to the sideline and said, I can't throw the ball. Like, I can't throw the ball. Um, and so you felt bad because you could see it throughout the game. The play calling, the, you know, screaming into his headset with the sheet in front of his face. You could just see that he knew that he had no answers. He knew that you have a, a, a quarterback that is now your fifth string quarterback really the fourth, but it, it is technically the fifth string that was been out of the league a million times. Josh Johnson is so old. He played for Jim Harbaugh in college, not at Michigan, not at Stanford. Josh Johnson played for Jim Harbaugh at the University of San Diego, which was before he went to Stanford, which then led to the San Francisco 49ers job, which then led to the Michigan job, which Jim Harbaugh has been at for eight years. And so I bring it up because... You just could see it on Kyle Shannon's face. He's like, I got, uh, what am I supposed to do? Like, I, there's no answers. I, I don't have anything I could do here. And so I do feel bad for him. And I do feel bad for the 49ers. Now, I, I guess if there's any saving grace is that you just know that Sunday just was not your day. And maybe just it isn't your season. You're down to Mr. Irrelevant in the NFC Championship game. Maybe it's just not your season. Like, maybe it's just not meant to be. Um and, you know, at least you're not Cincinnati on a, a Monday morning saying, well, you know, there was a questionable call and it went against us and they got a call go their favor, blah, 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 blah. Like, you don't have to worry about that. Um, you can just go to the locker room and say that was awful. That was brutal. Um, but it wasn't enough. It, we, 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 this just wasn't meant to be. We weren't going to win it. And by the way, when Fred Warner gets hurt, basically the first play of the game, when Nick Bosa gets hurt standing on the sidelines, it's probably just not your day. Um, and that's really it for the San Francisco perspective. And, and I guess I do have one more thought. And, and I will say, I do think this this loss, I think it changes the narrative on Brock Purdy a little bit. It was funny. I, I, you know, I hosted Fox Sports Radio last Sunday. And we had on one of these NFL insiders that talks to everybody, GM's front office, this, that, the other thing. And he said, oh, like Brock Purdy, it's done. Like he is going to be the starter next year in San Francisco. It's over. And I, I I think this loss does change things just a little bit. Now, I understand he got hurt, but one, as I record here, we're trying to figure out what that injury is. Is he going to require surgery? Will he be out all offseason? Will he be ready to go week one of 2023? But beyond that, you know, I don't know. I, I just, you lose that game in that fashion. I think there are certain things you don't have to reconsider. You don't have to reconsider that Nick Bosa's elite when he's healthy. You don't have to consider Debo Samuel. I do think you got to consider, can we go into next year with Brock Purdy as our quarterback? Because again, and if you remember in the preseason, this is why I got so fired up about the Trey Lance situation, the Trey Lance, Jimmy G situation. I said, you have a team good enough to win the Super Bowl right now. And you have a quarterback that has proven he can get you to the Super Bowl. And you're going to bench him because you feel like you have to play Trey Lance. That makes no sense. Um, now the Jimmy G, now I, you know, Trey Lance gets hurt. Jimmy G gets hurt, and I will readily admit, I think it's time to just move on from Jimmy G. I just think he's not going to stay healthy. We've tried it four or five times. We've run it back again and again. It hasn't worked out. I'm not sold that you have to stick with Brock Purdy, though. 
I mean, there's going to be guys available, right? You know, Derek Carr is obviously available right now. Veteran quarterback has never really had the stability that San Francisco would bring. Um, I don't think Trey Lance is the answer either, by the way. I don't think you can go into next year with a guy, again, with a Super Bowl, uh, you know, with a roster good enough to win the Super Bowl that you're going to go in with a quarterback that has one career start and he got hurt. Tom Brady, I think, is a guy you probably kick the tires on. Don't know what Tom Brady's going to do. I said on this show when the, the the Bucks got knocked out of the playoffs, I'm not really in on Tom Brady at this point in his career. But I will say for Brady, like, I, I think he's a quarterback now. It's almost like Kirk Cousins. Everything has to be perfect around him for him to, 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 to basically unlock the best version of Brady. Everything needs to be perfect around him, right? Like Patrick Mahomes, everything doesn't have to be perfect again, around. Joe Burrow, clearly. Josh Allen, um, for all the criticism we give of the Bills, he covers up a lot of mistakes in that organization. I do think Brady's one of those guys, everything's kind of got to be perfect around him. And if it isn't, um, I don't think he's going to win at the highest level. But with that said, offensive head coach, great play caller, Debo Samuel, defense. It does make sense. It's just whether Tom Brady actually wants to move across country from his kids, you know. That, that, that you know you got divorced because you chose football over your family. I don't know that that sends the best message to your three kids and your ex-wife if you move across the the country to San Francisco. But I, I you know I do think this changes the dynamics on Brock Purdy a little bit. And finally, what I would say from the Philly perspective, I almost feel bad for Philly from this reasoning. Nobody's going to give him credit for anything. Like like this was the best team all year. They were undefeated till week twelve, week thirteen, and we kept saying, yeah, but. I don't know. I'm not sold. I'm not this. I'm not that. Then they get to the playoffs. They destroy the New York football giants. Destroy them. And it's like, well, the Giants shouldn't have been here. Minnesota sucks. Then they get to the NFC Championship game. And they beat maybe the most complete roster in the National Football League. Oh, well, but the quarterback got hurt. We don't know what would happen. So, I feel bad for Philly. They get one more chance to prove the world how good they are. They're playing the Chiefs. I have no like crazy hot takes on the uh, Super Bowl as of this second. Obviously, we have two weeks to talk about it, uh, and we will. Good opening segment. Good opening segment. Thought Torres did pretty well for himself. All right, so what I want to do? Take a quick break. Come back. We'll talk a little college hoops. Some of the weekend action that was. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay. I've told you before, but I'm gonna keep telling you Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a new year's Eve into new year's day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates, Colorado Rockies first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody. And here is what they are doing. For listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay, so what you got to do, bet 50 on any game and new users, how about this, get up to $1,000 in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. 
Bet 50 on any game, you get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200 plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with a little bit of college hoops. And we're going to get to some of the results on the court in a minute. But before we do, I'd be remiss if I didn't just start with just something off the court. And that was that on late Thursday, after I had already recorded Friday's show, we did get news of the passing of an iconic college basketball voice. Billy Packer died at the age of 82 late Thursday. And so for people who are of a certain age, maybe you don't really remember Billy Packer. But for the rest of us, this guy was as synonymous with college basketball as pretty much anybody in the sport, okay? Started broadcasting college basketball in the mid-70s. I found this very interesting. He started broadcasting the Final Four before it was actually called the Final Four. And so he was there on some of the great calls in the history of the sport. The NC State buzzer beater to win a title in 83. Um, he was on the call to uh, you know Arizona, Simon Says Championship. Uh, as a UConn fan, he was on the call for UConn's first two national titles in 99 and 04 alongside Jim Nance, Kentucky in 96, Kentucky in 98 with Tubby Smith. The final national championship game was one of the best ones ever in 2008 between Kansas and Memphis. And so when I think of Billy Packer, a couple things come to mind. One, you could like him or you could hate him. And we're going to discuss that part in a minute. Um, but when Billy Packer was on your game, it felt big and it felt important to me. He was kind of that generations. You, you listen to college basketball. Now when Jay Billis is on the call, you could like Jay Billis. You cannot like Jay Billis. And I, I've certainly shared some thoughts that I have on Jay Billis, but you can't deny that when Jay Billis is in your town, you're playing in a big game and it's a big deal that matters. Same with Dick Vitale. I've told this, I think I've told this story, but everybody knows I went to UConn university of Connecticut uh, for my undergrad. My freshman year, I actually went to the University of Rhode Island, okay? Um, and that was the year that Jameer Nelson and Delonte West were at St. Joe's. Now, ironically, Billy Packer had a big dust-up with that team in the NCAA tournament. But why I bring it up was because St. Joe's came to Rhode Island late in the year, and it was a big game. And it was the first time that Dick Vitale had ever come to Rhode Island, and it was an event. It was huge. It was a story. And that was kind of how Billy Packer was. Like, like, when he came to your town, your game mattered, whether you were – a UConn fan, a North Carolina fan. He went to Wake Forest, Georgetown, UNLV, those great teams of the 80s. You go back and watch those great games from the 1980s, the UNLV games, 
the Duke games when Coach K first got it rolling, Georgetown with Patrick Ewing, Georgetown with John Thompson. More often than not, Billy Packer is on the call for those games. What I also think is interesting about Billy Packer, let me say this. In his time, he was kind of considered like a curmudgeon whatever. Um, It's funny because I guess, you know, he was kind of a contemporary of Dick Vitale. And Dick Vitale is like everything Dick Vitale is, is happy, energy, excited to be here. And Billy Packer was kind of the opposite. He'd complain about seedings. He'd say this team didn't deserve to be in the tournament. He'd tell you how bad your team was on the broadcast. But it is ironic how time heals all wounds and time changes perceptions of things. I remember when he was let go, there was like talk of like, oh, the game has passed him by. He's too old. He's too stiff. He's too, you know, he doesn't bring enough to a broadcast. I didn't realize this, but I guess in his final, final four, again, I said Kansas played Memphis in the final four, in the national title game. Well, in the semifinal, Kansas played North Carolina, and apparently he said with like nine minutes left in the first half, this game is over. It was like 28 to six or something like that. And the word is that it really ruffled the feathers of a lot of his bosses at CBS. Like, dude, don't tell people to turn off this game. What are you doing? And so it's interesting because when he was let go or when he retired or whatever in 2008, I think there was a belief of like, This is just an old grumpy guy. We need some new blood into this broadcast. Well, first of all, I I think we're 15 years in and it really took until about two or three years ago when they put the Jim Nance, uh, Grant Hill, Bill Raftery team together before they actually found the group that works for Final Four. So so we criticized Billy Packer and then we realized it's really hard to replace him. But two, as time goes on, I think people have started to appreciate who Billy Packer was. He told the truth. He pulled no punches. It was funny. I saw an article on Monday morning about Greg Olson, the NFL broadcaster, and the article basically said he could learn some lessons from Billy Packer about being 100% transparent. Now, I'm not here to say whether Greg Olson is good, Greg Olson is bad, whatever, but I mean, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when Billy Packer left broadcasting, it was like, get this guy out of here. Now we're like, we need more Billy Packers. We have too many fanboys in the media. We have people that aren't willing to criticize people on the field. Isn't that the concern with Tom Brady when he becomes a broadcaster? Is he actually going to criticize anybody or is he just going to, you know, be super happy, go lucky all the time? Tony Romo is too nice. Now I like Tony Romo personally, but I think there's that belief. Like they won't, he won't criticize anybody. And so RIP to Billy Packer, because again, if you're under about, if you're over about 25, 28, 30, most of your childhood, most of your youngest years watching college basketball Billy Packer was probably on those big calls. I mentioned all the games, uh, but sad to see him go at the age of 82. Um, And he's a guy, you know, he was the soundtrack of my childhood. I grew up watching college basketball, um, you know, as much as any other sport. And as I said, he was at so many big games through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I will say, by the way, I'm a little young. They say the Dick Enberg, Al McGuire, Billy Packer broadcast booth was the best one that's ever been put together. I'm a little bit young for that one. But I will say, our RIP Billy Packer, um, you know, sad story, 82 years old, uh, but obviously leaves a legacy and a lot of people will remember him. And, you know, if you follow College Hoops, his voice is going to be on YouTube. Watch games that you rewatch for a long time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's switch gears and get to some of the results on the court. And let me just say this. This felt like the weekend where it was like, okay, there really is a spotlight on college basketball. I thought it was really interesting. I had a couple buddies, mostly football guys, college football, NFL that were like, dude, it was Saturday. I didn't know what to do with myself. I watch more college basketball on Saturday than I have at any point in the season. And so it was a great day for college hoops. I want to go through some of the results. Um, and I want to talk about, I think there were two to me that feel like impactful, meaningful, important results. The first one, it did come from the SEC Big 12 Challenge, but it might not be the game you're thinking about. Biggest result to me from the weekend came from Thompson Bowling Arena, Rocky Top, Tennessee, Tennessee actually entered the game as it was a really interesting because this was the game. It felt like everybody felt like, okay, Texas is going to make a statement. They're in the big 12. They're playing really well. Won five out of six in the toughest league in college basketball come in. And how about this entering the game? All the money from the betting perspective was coming in on Texas bet. Fred Sportsbook. Texas opened as a seven and a half point favorite. It was down to five and a half by tip off, meaning that all the betters were putting all the money on Texas. Well, instead, what happens? Texas Longhorns walk in, top 10 team, won five of six. They take the L walking out of Knoxville, final score 82 to 71. And I'll be blunt, the game really wasn't that close. Now, in terms of why this game is interesting, I do wonder if it is time to start thinking about Tennessee Volunteers basketball in a different light. Let me explain why. And we talked about this on Friday, but this Tennessee team specifically and this Tennessee program specifically it feels like is at a very interesting inflection point kind of in their 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 time as a basketball program. What do I mean by that? Well, the bottom line with Tennessee is pretty straightforward, okay? Tennessee, to me, this year feels different for them because this is now, I believe, year eight, year seven for Rick Barnes, something like that. And at this point, Rick Barnes has done basically everything other than had super successful NCAA tournament runs. He's had great regular seasons. They won the SEC regular season in year three. Follow it up year four with a Sweet 16 run, still his best run in the NCAA tournament. Last year, they have that incredible run in the SEC tournament where they win the title, they go into the NCAA tournament with all this momentum, so much excitement, and then they lose to Michigan in the second round. Tennessee fans, I'm sorry to bring it up, but I do think it kind of contextualizes this season where it feels like, okay, we're excited, but we're happy, but. We know that there might be a shoe that drops at the at some point, and we feel like we'll probably end up losing a game that we shouldn't in the NCAA tournament, and so it's hard for us to invest, right? It's one thing when you're on the way up. It's one thing if even if you're even like a Kentucky fan, right? Like a Kentucky fan could say, you know, I don't know if we're going to be great during the regular season, but Cal has had some magic in March. Not lately, but 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 they have had it. Arkansas fans, I think they feel like, hey, give me Coach Musselman in March. We'll figure it out. Whereas Tennessee fans are kind of the exact opposite. It's like, we want to enjoy this regular season, but how much can we? 
But I do wonder if this game changed the narrative a little bit. And let, let me say this, even me, I'll be blunt. I have questioned Tennessee a little bit. And if you listen to this show, I kind of said like, look, even going into this game on Saturday, I like Texas. And the reason that I like Texas was I wasn't totally sold on Tennessee. It's one thing for Tennessee to do what they've done so far this year and smack the living daylights out of most of the back end of the SEC. And that's what's interesting, right? They, like they are now entering or coming into this game, I should say. They were 17 and three, seven and one in the SEC. But even if you looked at the SEC portion of the schedule, 29 point win against the bad Georgia team, 21 point win at a bad LSU team, 11 point win at a bad Mississippi State team, nine point win against Vandy, 44. Three points against South Carolina, but they still haven't played the best teams yet. And so that was why I was even hesitant. I'm not even a Tennessee fan, but I was hesitant to give Tennessee too much credit. Yeah, but yeah, but I know they're good, but who have they played in conference? They still have to play Alabama. They still have to play Kentucky on the road. They still have to play uh, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Auburn twice. How excited can I get about this team? I do wonder though, if Saturday did change the narrative for this team a little bit, because the biggest thing with Tennessee, we've wondered all along, do they have the dudes in March not good enough to win, but like good enough to win big games and big moments. And specifically, do they have guys that can get them buckets because Tennessee for years has been a great defensive team, but when they get pushed back last year in the NCAA tournament against Michigan, big game from Hunter Dickinson, they had no answer for him. It's like when they get pushed back, do they have the dudes that can respond? I'm not saying they do, but I do think Tennessee fans have to feel a lot better about this team coming out of Saturday. First of all, Olivier Kongwa was unbelievable. 22 points in this game. I thought that was very interesting. Remember, this was a guy that was playing really well last year. He's tore his ACL uh, probably late January, early February around this time. And while he was ready to come back earlier this season, we all know that an ACL injury, it takes time to recover. And so one, if you get this, this guy specifically playing his best late in the season, that's probably a good sign. And then I think Tennessee fans who have kind of pushed back on the, the negative, the, the negative narrative or the one that I've pushed, which is, I don't know how great they are offensively. They've said, well, we don't really have Josiah Jordan James, one of our best scorers available. And so Josiah Jordan James comes back probably about two, three weeks ago. And in this game had 14 points prior to this game. Had a couple really big games um, on the season so far in his return is averaging double figures. And like I said, 22 points against LSU the other day, 13 points in a, a win against uh, Mississippi State. And that was really the first big game that he had upon his return from injury. But I bring it up because I'm just saying, I don't know if the narrative that Tennessee doesn't have scoring, that Tennessee doesn't have dudes that can get them buckets. I don't know if it's still true because the one thing about Tennessee that can't be denied this was a team that really hadn't been healthy at any point up until probably the last week to 10 days of the college basketball season. Early on, Josiah Jordan James gets hurt. Santiago Vescovi has been in and out of the lineup. Olivier Kong was coming back from injuries. And now it feels like they're just starting to get going. And I'll say this. I don't want to put too much pressure on the falls. I don't want to, you know, you know, uh, stake, you know, stick the stick my, uh, what do they say? I uh, plant my flag that Rick Barnes is finally going to get it done in the tournament. But I will say, and I've seen people who cover the ball say this, Wes Rucker is a great guy. I I don't really know him, but you know, I've changed, exchanged DMs with him. But he said, he's like, I'm not saying Rick Barnes is going to, this is the year. But what I am saying is if there was ever a year, this feels like that. And especially by the way, and I think this is important too. 
Think about all the other teams in college basketball this year. A lot of them don't have the veterans that that Tennessee does. So, right, like you think about Alabama. Alabama's great, but they're going to go in the NCAA tournament. They're going to need freshmen to be great to win deep into March. Then you have other to you know, Purdue, by the way. I don't think people realize this about Purdue. Purdue has two freshman guards starting in that lineup. Well, Tennessee has a bunch of older, veteran, mean dudes, and this just feels like more of an open year. I know Purdue's number one. I don't think there's any great team in college basketball this year. I don't think there's anybody that's unbeatable. I think everybody has some flaws. Again, not trying to get anybody's hopes up, but I will say I do think if there was ever a year, this could be it for Tennessee. And I'll tell you, that game to me really showed me some of the narratives about Tennessee. They haven't played anybody. Well, now they beat Texas. They smacked them. They don't have scoring. Well, now they they, they scored a bunch of points against a good defensive tennis, uh, Texas team. This really might be the year for Tennessee. Not saying it is, but I'm saying it could be. Speaking of it, might finally be the year. Did you see what happened Saturday night? Bloomington, Indiana. My boy, Mike Effin Woodson. Fifth straight win for Indiana as they take care of Ohio State in Bloomington. Another game that was not even close. The final score between the Indiana Hoosiers and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Final score was... 86 to 70. And what stands out to me about this game is a couple things. One, Ohio State's not playing very well right now. Um, I like Chris Holtman, but you know, he's he's had some second half of the season type struggles. Now, I will say in Holtman's defense, this is a very young team. And I think he even knew kind of coming into the year, like, hey, you know, we lost a bunch of guys off last year's squad. Uh, we all remember the names, EJ Liddell, guys like that. This was going to be a process this year. They probably overachieved early, but they are struggling right now. But again, this isn't really about Ohio State. To me, this is about Indiana. And to me, this is about a team that's starting to figure itself out. And the thing I keep going back to with Indiana, and I've said it time and time and time again, but I think it's worth noting. This team was phenomenal early in the year. They started out, 7-0, beat North Carolina at home in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They lose one game, and then from there, they just had a bad run of injuries, and we talked about it at the time. But Xavier Johnson, their starting point guard, who I think was their most important player at that uh, not more important than Trace Jackson Davis, but he's really important. He goes down with injury. Race Thompson forward goes down with injury. Well, by the way, Jalen hood Shafino, star freshman, had, was in and out of the lineup. And it feels like these last four or five games, Indiana has really started to figure things out. One, as I said, Trace Jackson Davis, their star player, fourth-year player, he is starting to play like an All-American. Now, Saturday, he didn't need to be that, but I told you this on Friday's show. His last three games, or last four games, in this win streak, 35-9, and 31-15, and 25-21. and 21. And then 18 and 10. So in this five-game win streak, he has four double-doubles. The game that he didn't get a double-double, he goes for 35 and 9. But what's been impressive about this Indiana run is that other guys are starting to step up kind of in place of those injured guys. So you look at some of the guys that that, that are playing well, either off the bench or kind of in a, a you know a, a, a role player type role. Trey Galloway, junior guard. 17 points in a win against Michigan State, 11 points in a win against Illinois. Tamar Bates, former five-star, starting to play like that. Jalen hood Shafino, I just mentioned him, a guy that has was really highly ranked coming in, 24 points against Ohio State. And so you look at Indiana now, and I'll say this, is that, listen, the Big Ten, 
And I know they don't have success in March, but I will say you look at this league right now. There's a lot of wins to be had in this league. Purdue is great. And by the way, Indiana Purdue later this week, uh, next, uh, I think it's Sunday, we get Indiana Purdue, or I think it's Saturday, actually, we get Indiana Purdue. But why I bring it up is after Purdue, you know who's in second place? Northwestern. You think Northwestern is unbeatable? Because I don't. Illinois, which Indiana's already beaten. Michigan State, Penn State. I mean, you look at the teams that are in the mix in the Big Ten. There's a lot of wins to be had. And so I look at Indiana, and I'm just telling you, man, they play at Maryland and Purdue. It's not going to be easy. But this is a team that can get a lot of wins. This is a team that can put themselves in a nice position to get a nice seed. And this is a team that can go deep in March. A couple other results before we get out of here. One, Kentucky-Kansas. I know everybody wants reaction to that. I don't think there's some like amazing takeaway from this game. Kansas was coming in on a three-game losing, losing streak. Kentucky on a three-game win streak. And I guess the one thing I would say about this game, it did feel like Everybody had the same analysis coming in, and I include myself. Kansas doesn't have great low post play. Kansas doesn't have a lot of big bodies. Um, how are they going to stop Oscar Sheboy? Well, to me, that was the big story coming out of this game on Saturday as Kansas wins 77-68 at Rupp Arena. Is that everybody, you know, they wanted to go back to Kentucky's offense. They wanted to go back to lineups. Kentucky shot 50% from the field, 49% from field from the field. 16 of 23 from the free throw line. You know why they lost this game? They weren't good enough defensively. They gave up 49% shooting. And beyond that, Kansas out-rebounded them 34 to 29. On top of that, Kentucky, one of the best offensive rebounding teams in college basketball, had four total offensive rebounds. And so from the Kansas perspective, I, I actually think there's more to take away from Kansas. They finally got those guards going. Dewan Harris, who I, I use this stat, but he had five points in the previous four games, has eight big points, especially early when they needed him. Kevin McCuller, the transfer from Texas A&M, had struggled. How about this? 11 points, 12 rebounds, two assists, two steals. You talk about a big game, a big result. He stepped up. For Kentucky, it just, I'll be blunt, it just didn't feel like their night. Now, was Calipari perfect? Did he use Severe Wheeler probably too much? Yeah, I think he probably played Severe Wheeler a little bit too much. But at the end of the day, you look at this Kentucky game, it came down to they couldn't get big stops when they needed to on defense, and they couldn't get big rebounds when they needed to, especially on the offensive glass. When you look at this Kentucky team and you look at when they are having success, they're a team that thrives with second chance points. They thrive on the boards. This was a team that against Vanderbilt was plus 13 in rebounding with seven offensive rebounds. They were negative five on Saturday against a team that they should have dominated and they didn't. So Kentucky, you know, I'll tell you what, they, they they get an interesting week this week. They go to last place Ole Miss. Ole Miss is tied at one in seven, bottom of the SEC standings. Um, and then they get Florida at home. Those are two wins that should really get them back on track for the home stretch of the season where they will play Arkansas twice. They still have Tennessee at home. They still have Auburn at home. I think Kentucky's actually in very good shape. I'm not worried about them at all. This was just one of those bad matchup, bad night, bad this. Kansas needed it. Give Kansas credit for going into the road and get going on the road, getting a, a, a big win in a hostile environment. Two quick other results. One, Alabama gets smoked by Oklahoma. Listen, I, I don't think there's anything to this, okay? Now, Alabama fans are saying it's the second straight game that we've struggled. Is all of kind of the mental wear and tear of, uh, you know, the situation with Darius Miles. Like, is that what this is about? I guess I'll believe that when I see it. 
you know, Alabama, like like Kentucky, has a nice little stretch here to get right. Vandy at home on Tuesday. Uh, LSU, a team that they destroyed a few weeks ago on the road on Saturday. Uh, and then Florida, a decent but not great Florida team later on in the season. Um, and so when I look at this game from the uh, Alabama perspective, I'm not ready to say that like it's over for Alabama. They're they're going in the wrong direction. Show me a four or five game sample size where they play like that, and I'll worry. By the way, a historical reference here. Two years ago, when they won the SEC regular season in the SEC tournament, they and went to the Sweet 16. They went to Oklahoma in the Big 12 SEC Challenge and ended up losing that game. So we'll see if that happens here. Um, but I'm not worried at all. Finally. Hey, where Aaron was right. I've talked about a lot of things I got wrong on this show. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, uh, uh, Tennessee basketball, Indiana basketball. Creighton. They had a six-game losing streak earlier in the year, and everyone said, Torres, what's wrong with Creighton? I said, well, some of the losses were to good teams. They lost to Arizona and Maui. They lost at Texas when Texas still had Chris Beard. Might have been Chris Beard's final game there, final win there. I don't know. Neither here nor there. Um, And then their most important player, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Got sick, was out for about four or five games with, uh, you know, non-COVID illness. And they struggled. And it was funny. I was at one of the games. They played Arizona State in Vegas. I went out um, just to kind of be around the teams. And I asked Greg McDermott about it after the game. And, and I said, is there anything kind of about this whole situation that has you worried? And he said, like, look, do we want to lose all these games? No, we don't want to lose all these games. But we have a seven-foot, you know, potential All-American. Everything we do revolves around him offensively and defensively. And so they lose to Arizona State. They come home, they, or excuse me, they fly home for a day. Then they have to fly to Marquette, struggle from there. Well, guess what? Since that, they've now won seven of nine. And on Saturday, had their most emphatic win of the season, destroying Sean Miller, Xavier Musketeers at home. Creighton, I'm telling you, is turning a corner. This is a team, because of their win-loss record, I think they're going to be in that six to seven range. And they're just that team that you do not want to see in your bracket in the NCAA tournament. When I say six to seven, I mean six or seven seed. Don't want to see them. They're 13 and eight right now. I think they're playing like a top 15 or so team. They shouldn't be ranked. I'm not saying they should be ranked, but they're a really good basketball club right now. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, make sure you subscribe to Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Thank you for your guys' support. Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro! I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pop. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.